Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. They had a hit radio show, they had a hit TV show, and they released many albums. To find out what I'm talking about, stay tuned. Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. Hey everybody, this is Ivan from Men Without Hats. Hello everybody, this is Francis Dunnery from It Bites. Hi everyone, this is Andy from Modern Romance. Hi everyone, this is Charlene. Hi, this is Benny Seaton from Music Hi, I'm Nick Haywood. Hi, this is Kevin from Fiction Factory. And you're listening to the 80s Rewind Show podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And now... Welcome, your host, the face for Radio Burgess. Enjoy the show. Hello, it's the Ace Rewind Show podcast with me, Rob, the face Radio Burgess. I hope you're well and welcome along to the show. Before I start, I've got to say a massive thank you to everyone that's liked and subscribed to the show so far. If you haven't, just hit the subscribe button just down there below. Um, thank you to everyone that's reached out to say they're enjoying all the reaction videos, all the interviews and all the guests. It means a lot when you reach out to me. If you want to say hello, email address is in the same place. Just reach out and say hello as well. Or if you've got any suggestions for videos, feel free to hit me up. I'd love to chat to you. On to today's guest. I've got the fantastic Morris Lee, or Mo Grumbleweed as he's known to the rest of the world. He's the one that looked like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees, by his own admission. <laughs> um, the Grumbleweeds are a comedy band that had a fantastic TV show, a long-running radio show, and released many records. In the description, I'm going to put a link to one of their tracks called Never Before from one of their early albums. It's amazing. You need to hear it. There'll be a link in the description for that. Check it out. It's brilliant. Also, he talks about forming the band, what he's up to now, and the fact that he's a fantastic painter. He sent me some artwork, which will be on the website along with this interview. He's also agreed to let me play a track from his last solo album, so stick around for that right at the end. It was a great interview. He made me laugh so much, I had to cut a lot of my laughing out. <laughs> Morris is a great guy. Check out the interview, and I'll see you on the next one. Ta-da. The 80s Rewind Show podcast, where the past meets the present. If we can go back a wee touch, was, was you sort of, did you grow up in a musical household? Were your parents into music? No, not really. But they weren't musicians, so my my memory of music when I was a kid was listening to Jack Jackson on Radio Luxembourg at midnight before I went to school the following morning and did my homework on the way to school, you know, writing in an exercise book, some of that than anyway. So it was just all about the, the music industry, but nobody in the family apart from my, my one of my brothers could play the piano but that's about it. And I got a guitar when I was nine so what was the, the sort of album for you that was the turning point that made you sort of really want to become a musician? Well, uh, you know, I got the guitar and Elvis Presley and Eddie Cochran and Cliff Richard and, you know, Marty Wilde, all the 60s stars were all, and the Everly Brothers, I just looked, and Bobby V, all these sort of ancient names now. All I was doing is trying to learn that, you know, move it by Cliff Richard. That was the first riff, you know. I just wanted to play the guitar, and uh, I left school at 15, and I was doing the pubs, clubs around uh, Leeds and Bradford, etc. And then um, around about 1967, 
uh, well, 65, we went to Hamburg as the, as the Grumbleweeds. We formed the Grumbleweeds in 1962. So we were on the Reeperbahn doing an hour on and an hour off from seven at night till seven in the morning uh, for a month. I came back with threatenings and a rash, you know. It was a fantastic, <laughs> uh, educated sort of time in my life. And uh, it, it made me see just what the industry was all about. And then... We went on into the clubs and clubs and working men's clubs in in 65, 66, 60. 67, we were on Opportunity Knox. That was a, a talent show like the X Factor, except there was like a clap on it. And when the audience clapped, you could see some fella shoving it with a broom handle, you know what I mean? And the, the, <laughs> and the people sent the votes in by a postcard you know, and they, they added them up over the weekend. I can, I can remember who we were on with. Uh, Minor Hall and Bill Dixon singing at each other. Uh, there was a fellow playing a banjo with green teeth. Uh, there was a woman doing farmyard impressions. Like, get off that transfer! You know, that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yvonne Mars was last week's winner. And there was an army display team chucking each other about. And that's the kind of the kind of thing that went on in '67, but it opened a few doors and closed a few doors, and uh, it set, we set off on the road to Cabaret. And Cabaret, in this is in the day before motorways were even open. But there was no M62 even before. We used to go over the Pennines, so you'd leave home at four o'clock in the afternoon and get back at four o'clock the following morning. And you'd go on at one club, say, Wigan Casino at 9 o'clock. And then you go to Bolton Casino for 11 o'clock. And then back to Wigan for 1 o'clock. Uh, and you'd, you'd, you'd throw your Vox amplifiers in and all in the back of a Thames van. And you'd do that. And it'd be 14 shows in the week back over the Pennine. And, and we did that for years, you know, absolute forever. Bolton, Wigan, Blackburn, Newcastle, Dolce Vita, the Cavendish, all, all these venues, down to Birmingham, to the Night Out, the Dolce Vita, the Cavendish, the Rum Runner, the Cedar Club, Barbarella's, all these venues, all, you know, and Nottingham, the Heart of the Midlands, and the Talk of the Midlands, and over Manchester to the Talk of the North, and Bernard Manning's Embassy Club. I mean, it just went on and on and on and on. We just jumped all over England doing clubs every night of the week for years. You know, right right through the seventies, right up until till the eighties really. And then in in late seventies we got a radio series on Radio Two and uh, that that we did a sort of a pilot show. Uh, we used to work have you heard of a club called Battle Variety Club? Funny enough, I've heard of it because other artists have spoke about it, yeah. Yeah, well, it was like a massive venue in a in a mill town just outside Leeds where Roy Orbison played and Shirley Bassey, you know. And with us being a Leeds act, we were there a hell of a lot. Uh, and, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, renowned. It was packed all the time. And there was a radio producer living badly called Mike Craig. And he came in and saw the act, and, and we did a pilot for a radio series. And it, it, it went through, and uh, we, we did 17 years on Radio 2, and it won an award in, in uh, about 1976 or 7 or something like that, or 78. 
uh, for a radio show of the year. It was on at the same time. It was Saturday lunchtime, repeated Sunday lunchtime. It was on at the same time as the Hoodlands, Roy Hood had a series on radio. So he's a big goon. Can you remember the goons? Of course, yeah. Yeah, Peter Sellers, you know, and Harry Seacombe. And, but it was, it was written in that kind of, you know, it was that kind of style of absolute insanity. We had characters in it like Will's gas mask Grimshaw. You know, and he wore a gas mask for the whole of the series. <laughs> and I, you know, so why do you why do you wear a gas mask? And it's just stop me picking my nose. <laughs> well, does it work? No, I can get me hand up here. You know, it, it was, and he had a really, like a goonish sort of blue bottle voice. Yeah. There was Uncle Nasty, which I played, and Uncle Ruby, which Graham played, and he sort of had, uh, he'd have like a worm in his pocket or a slug. Hello, hello, listeners. And Uncle Nasty would say, you're getting right up my nose, you are, pal. Do you like hospital food? Do you like riding in ambulances? Do you want to wake up with a crowd around in a back full of broken ribs looking for your teeth? Uh, no. <laughs> it was that, <laughs> that kind of, uh, and Robin was amazing, but, you know, the character he played mostly was Jimmy Savile. Yes, And right. uh, obviously, yeah, I was about that thing down and it was all that going on all the way through it. Now then, now then, here we are with Will Scott, Matt Grimshaw, and he'd go on. And Albert used to play this character where he had no teeth, and, and anybody seen the teeth was his catchphrase. And it, it ran and ran and ran, and we recorded it at the City Varieties in Leeds um, to a live crowd. And it was edited down and went out every Saturday lunchtime. So Johnny Hamp at Granada picked up on that and uh, he uh, he came across and then by 83 we had a TV series that did 43 weeks on network telly. Saturday night TV was We Are The Grand Louise uh, with all the characters in it and all the impressions and guest acts like Faith Brown and Bernard Manning and Frank Carson and, you know, uh, Rinder Asadi. We had all sorts of various guests on the show, and they were sketches, music, and guests. And it ran for uh, 43 weeks, and they dropped us when we got below 8 million. <laughs> so, <laughs> mind you, there was only four stations. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Did it start out as a serious band, the Grumble Weeds, or was it always going to be sort of comedy? music and... yeah well we tried to be serious but we were crap you know <laughs> the bottom line is it, we, we were a cover band but you know we, we could sing and we could play but we we were bored you know after a verse and a chorus we wanted to mess about and uh, we'd, we'd just go off on one and we did a, a talent competition in Leeds in 1963 for the Yorkshire Post and it was a, a, a sort of a, there were 80 bands were in it. And we came third. We only knew three songs. <laughs> uh, Johnny Be Good by uh, Chuck Berry, Pipeline by The Ventures, and uh, an original that Carl Penn called Grumbleweed. And we, before we went on, we prayed to a little flower in a, wheat, in a, in a plant pot. <laughs> and we had everybody's attention at the front of the stage where all the other bands, we just knocking out, you know, it was Rory Storm and the Rockets. And uh, the uh, it, it was that kind of, you know, um, the Gilead joined, joined uh, third place with us. 
And uh, we came, yeah, we came third. Ronnie Hilton was quite a famous singer in the day, and he was a he was a judge. And we were just hoping and praying and didn't say, "Can you do another song?" Because we didn't know one. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, we came third, and uh, all the pubs around Leeds used us, and the youth clubs, and you know, I mean, I remember working the Yorkshire Hard in Leeds, which was the roughest pub in Leeds. It had a, a butler behind the bar that went straight to Milgarth Police Station. But, you know, and they were there on a regular basis to just kick the door in and walk in with three or four, you know, German Shepherd bomber lead and quieting everything down and everybody getting a black man out of it. So, you know, <laughs> it, it was insane. But, you know, you see that and then next, before you know where you are, you're on, you know, the top 10 club in Hamburg. You know, working until they're sailors and drunks and at four o'clock in the morning, somebody's knocking seven bells out of each other and you're thinking, you know, it, it was uh, crazy. And then uh, the motorway, I'll never forget this. On the way home, the van from Hamburg to Dover broke down. So we, we left the van on the autobahn in 1965 with the, all the out and rock amplifiers and my guild sapphire and the Rickenbacker guitars and all that suits all folded up. And we just said sort of goodbye to it. Went back to writing and just just got sort of any kind of a job. Bought some equipment and started working the working men's clubs with hired equipment. And Albert and Carl went back to the uh, Yorkshire Switchgear where they worked. And it was a big factory. And one of the van lorry drivers there said, you know, when your van built down in Amber, what did you do about it? And we said, oh, we just left it. He said, well, we're going over to Hamburg with a, with a you know, massive crowd load. Do you want us to have a look for it? So they brought the van. They went over, and the van was still there, in fact. <laughs> seven weeks later, when the Hawksound, the Rickenbacker, the lot, they brought it back over for us. On the box of a lorry. <laughs> but nobody, I mean, it wouldn't have lasted five minutes, would it, in this day and age? No, no. Not it would have been no. The wheels would have been off for it. The, the stuff would have been on eBay within half an hour, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's true. Um, I mean, you say that you try to be serious and you're crap. I've got to disagree a little bit because what I always do, when, when, when I've got an artist on, I like to go back and listen to their back catalogue as much as possible to get a sense of where the band started to come to. And I discovered your album in a Technicolor Dream, which was... Oh, wow, wow. Well, that album, there's I could only find two singles, I've got to be honest, the title track and Never Before. i got to be honest, they're, yeah. they're brilliant songs. They were brilliant. Thank you. No, Thank really, you very much. Mike. Really good. I'm gutted I can't find any more of the album anywhere because I, I, I know you did My Sweet Lord on it as well. You covered that, didn't you, as well? Yeah, we did. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, Bloody hell, yeah. Yeah, but never before is. Did you write that one? Is that one of yours? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Like where that came from? How it came about? Was it just an idea or? Uh, kind of a. You know, we were we were just uh, looking for our own sound, and we were influenced by everything that was kicking around at the time, and it doesn't resemble Blood Sweat Tears or Chicago Transit Authority or any of those kind of bands, but. It was just that feel of wanting to be doing a kind of a big feel of the chord and things, but with a orchestra 
or a band backing, and that's how it ended up. And yeah, we, I was quite pleased with the song, and uh, it, it it got you know decent recognition, but it never you know we've had a lot of singles out over the years. You know, come on down to bread shop and. All that going on. They were a great baker with our dad. And, uh, you know, uh, if, uh, can I give you a nudge? One of them was called, Shall I run you in the morning or shall I give you a nudge? <laughs> it was, and we just tried and tried and tried. But the, the, the music industry, I mean, the nearest I got to singing something that we thought of might have had a chance was Woman's Intuition. Right. Uh, which was a thing. And uh, we used to put it. But you know the grumbleweed—it's it, got a name that you know it can make or break. And I think the actual name grumbleweed—you'll expect a serious song from it. And the funny thing is, at the blues bar every Wednesday, I, I when I first did it, my first gig, it said Morris Grumbleweed outside in coloured chalk, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so. But as soon as I did my thing, you know, it was used to more, you know, because it seemed a little bit cooler. Yeah. You know, and I and I opened up to a crowd of, of originally they are musicians because it's a it's a music venue where there's a different guitar, different band on every night of the week, and on a Sunday they have three bands on, and it's only a small room. It holds about sixty people, and everybody, you know, loves music. And I walked in on my first gig. I had tracks, you know, and I was, I was way off my, you know, I could see the crowd were just looking at me as if to say, what's this guy doing? And in the interval, I went outside with her. Well, I said, this ain't working. I said, forget the tracks, man. It's a live bar. So I went on with the second one and I played my guitar and blew my harmonica and it improved things. But it, it looked like I was out on my deck, you know, and I said to the owner, Simon, I said, listen, man, this isn't my venue. And he said, look, do another week, and if you don't like it, we'll call it a job. And I worked on my acting that week, and for the second week, I went on. Uh, no, the third week, because I went to see a blues guitarist the week before, and he was amazing, I forget, man, he and some. And I was standing in for a guy called Paul Middleton who'd been working at the blues bar for 25 years. He was like a hero. But when I was watching the blues guy, Paul Middleton turned up and he got a standing ovation for turning up. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, what, what, what? and I looked at the time and I said, this is your opportunity now to tell me to do one. He said, look, do next week. Don't worry about it. And I did next week and it worked and I've worked on it. And every week I do a different and it ranges from hoochie coochie man, you know, to uh, how, you know, a bit of Fleetwood Mac to Elvis to, uh, you know, anything you can think of, you know, to Bobby Reed to Bob Dylan. And it's a wild night. And I, I, I was there till, they were dancing last night till midnight. And they, they went crazy. You know, absolutely. I've got a kickbox, a harmonica, and a guitar. And that's right. People who will think, who the hell is Lois Gumbley or Mo Gumbley? The point of uh, the forgot. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, I cut dads in the middle, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm not exactly PC. I told him my auntie was the first transgender I had to do. And she was like a father to me. You know, I just get away with the murder. You won't be using that, by the way. <laughs> Would you ever do like an ac- acoustic version of Never Before? Would you do a live version of that? I could, I could rather think about that. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I could try that. I, I could, uh, I could definitely, uh, knock those chords out together and it, it'd make a cool song, wouldn't it? Definitely. I'm going to put a link to it in the description of the video and the uh, podcast so people can find the track on YouTube because they need to hear it. It's, 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 it's brilliant. If we can go to the radio show for a second. What you, so you're there for 15 series. Did you, uh, did you? No, what, 17 years. So 17 years, sorry. It was, it was about 100 series, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Did, did you write every single episode of that or did you have guest writers doing that for you? Oh, no, it was Mike Craig was the writer. The total. He had total command over the whole show. Every single line that that was used was written by man. I mean, he was absolute genius for it. He's no longer with us, but it was really good. I mean, uh, you can't get them anywhere either. There are, there's a few on YouTube. There's, I think there's one series on YouTube. I was listening to it yesterday. But that, that's the TV show, I think. I don't think that's radio, is it? Uh, I'm not sure. I think there's. I think they're both on there because I found the TV show as well. Okay. Yeah, I found right, both well, on that, that ran for 43 weeks, like I said, on, on Granada TV. That was Johnny Amp, who his, his first massive was the comedian, you know, with Frank Carson and Norman Collier and Bernard Van, George Walker and all, Stan Bondman, you know, all those sort of comics. Yeah. And uh, that, that ran for years. And obviously a lot of them guests were on our show. So for, just like for a punchline, you'd have Hurricane, you know, a snooker player. And it'd be just a punchline of a guy, that's the hit, that's all he'd do. <laughs> so, but, you know, it was, it was different. And uh, it established us, you know, uh, in a big way, because Summer Kills and, and uh, Blackpool was like, uh, it was like, you know, the Vegas of England, as far as we were concerned. So from... 1972 was the South Pier, 1973 South Pier, 1973 was the North Pier, 1970 was the North Pier, 81 North Pier, then it went down, we went down to Torquay and to Bournemouth, you know, and to Yarmouth, and then back up to Blackpool in uh, the Grand Theatre in uh, 77, 78, 79, or 76, 77, 78, 79 at the Palace Lido 
And every Sunday we'd fly over to to uh, to Blackpool and build the opera house, which holds three thousand three hundred seats, and we'd fill it, you know. And uh, it, yeah, then were the days when a summer show was from May till October, you know, on the no May to November, six nights a week, six ten and eight forty. One of them, uh, Brian Conley, was a support comedian. The no, the Nolan, uh, Dick Van Winkle was blowing his flute, and we had sort of ten dancers, and and they're a hell of a band, you know. And and uh, I mean, the gag out here was there was a blind guy selling shoelaces, and I put my fifty pence in his tin every night of the week, six nights a week for four and a half months, and around about October, he stopped me and said, "Is that the guy that put fifty pence in my tin?" For the four and a half months, and you've never taken the shoe with. Yeah, mate. They've well, they've gone off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of uh, style. <laughs> and uh, the the, the grand was an amazing. Oh, so good. And uh, uh, I, I talk about I talk about stuff like that. When I do a ship, I do an odd with the cruise director. Apart from the children in the theatre, I do an audience with as well, a question and answer thing from the crowd. And the, the theatre, you were pretty full, and he asked me, you know, 20 or 30 questions. The rover might, a bit like what you're doing now. And I throw the character in and that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And what I like about the TV show as well is that you had the coloured backgrounds on it. It was really surreal at the same time. It was like a, a radio show on telly. And it, well, that was the first series. Yeah, it then developed from that and went to more normal, uh, you know, scenes in shops and in bars and things like that. It changed. That was the very first series with the uh, the coloured sort of surreal look, which is what John tried to. Uh, but he wanted to develop it, so they made it a bigger thing with a set and an audience. But, you know, it worked. It worked. It worked well, but it just kind of ran its course. If you know what I mean? I think everything does, in, in especially in the way things change in this business, unless you're changing with it. And uh, we, we, you know, we were of of that style. We were ahead of our game. There wasn't another band in this country that had their own television, you know. It was only us and the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Really. And it, yeah. Um, it was, uh, what was interesting was, I thought it, it was almost like a pre-runner to the Fast show that came out in the 90s where it was really quick sketches and that you sort yeah, of came on, yeah. hit, like punchline and off. Exactly. Yeah, the, the thing is with the Fast show and, and things developed, it, it became more university ground. Like in other words, it became programs were performed by people who had had a university education. You know, whereas we, we come from working class people. And the people that came up to the working class did working class humor. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it ran its course. The only person that carried on doing it and perfected really was the governor, Ken Dodd. And he went right through and, and kept going right to the very end, you know, with it. But most of the things just fell by the wayside as Smith and Jones took over and various characters. And like you said, Fastkill, which is a variation on what we were doing, only, you know, wordier and brighter, more edgy than 
put up with the work, but no, it worked for us. I think you were definitely the, because the, like I said, I was researching it, I went on and found it. You were definitely the pre runners to that style. It was definitely like, yeah. as soon as it came on, I was like, I recognize this style. And then it was it about 1988, you sort of decided to retire from it all or step step back a bit. No, I, no, it was, uh, it was later than that. I, I, uh, it was getting to the point where we were just kind of spiraling. In other words, we were doing the theaters, we were doing, you know, the, the sort of summer shows, et cetera. But I could see that we'd, we'd run the course of as far as I wanted to go. And, uh, you know, it, what, I, what I don't like doing is, is going back to something that I used to do. Uh, Bernard Manning hit the line in his club uh, at the embassy. He said, I get them on the way up and I get them on the way down. <laughs> and it's it, it true, you know, it gets people just breaking through and then it gets them up the way to the retired <laughs> And they hadn't, you know, and they were still doing the same thing. <laughs> and I could feel that that's the way it was going. And I, I've, I've always had this kind of urge to, to do other things. And um, so I gave the boys two years notice. And, uh, you know, because I didn't want it, want it to be a thing. I, after 40 years with, with, with the guy, I didn't want it to look like or feel like that I'd left. You know, I've left them in a situation that was uncomfortable. So I said, look, at the end of that from a show, I'm, I'm going to be on my way for it. I, uh, I trained a guy called Tony Joe, uh, to actually take over exactly what I was doing. And I got in the car and me and my wife drove up to Halls in Wednesday. We opened a little shop called Simply Original and we opened the gallery up there and Tony, straight into my shoes for quite a while they continued doing the same thing with him but it didn't quite work out um, and you know you've got to understand what Robin and Graham are about because they are pretty genius for what they do and uh, he didn't he didn't quite fit in the, so uh, after a while he sort of came out and Robin and Graham continued and then unfortunately we lost Graham about six years ago and uh, Robin now works with another guy and uh, he uh, got a double act together and I do what I do. Albert and Carl are still in that retirement age and so, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way we are now. But I'm still loving, loving what I do, you know. Apart from the fact you bought out an album recently as well, which is great. One door opens. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I met a guy called Hugh Fowler who worked at Teal, uh, which is um, a, a, an agency in Skipton. And I used to work through the various ships that they supplied the dance teams for, which in turn danced to the tracks that Hugh Fowler used to record. Right. And then he left Teal and went out on his own, and he contacted me and said, if you ever want any tracks, well, I'm your man. Because I used to pop in and see him, and I got my tracks done for. Because a lot of ships, I don't use the orchestra because they're not equipped for an orchestra. So my act is kind of a play on music, a few gags into a bit of a Lennon tribute with, you know, a track playing Strawberry Fields and my guitar and harmonica, etc. And then the track drops to a level that I can work with, and I track some gags, and you know. Uh, 
Liverpool is the city of culture. That means when you come out of your hotel, your car's jacked up on book. <laughs> up comes the track, you know, and then on with the song. And uh, that's how we developed a, a bit of a friendship. In fact, a, a big friendship. And uh, we, we, I, I, I played him this song, which is I'm in Martinique. Uh, Martinique was the name of the song. And he said, I love it. Let's record it. And that developed into an album. And we're on with the second album as we speak. Oh, fantastic. I mean, your album is, it's amazingly eclectic and it's got, um, oh, yet again, I'm going to put a link in the description so people can find it. But it's got, um, it's got a sort of a, an unassuming opening as well, where you sort of talk for a second and then you, and then you start playing. And um, yeah, I yeah. love, I love that sort of relaxed style that, that, that it is. I loved uh, Dusty was a name as well. That's a fantastic track as well. Was that about Dusty Springfield or? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a kind of a, a picture, it's a storytelling, and if you listen to it and imagine you're driving your car when you're listening to it, you know, the, the, the whole lyric is about that. And, uh, yes, she was amazing. I worked with a, 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 a TV show called Life from a Majesty, which was hosted by Jimmy Tarbuck. She was on that show. And I watched her do a rehearsal with the orchestra and... It wasn't long after that that we, you know, he he died. But she was, she was an amazing singer. You know, incredible. Um, I I don't think there's been many girl singers that had that soulful, effortless tone which she had. Fantastic. Yeah, people <laughs> people always said to me, if you could do your dream sort of duet, who would you pick? And it would be Dusty and uh, Karen Carpenter. I think those two together. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what song yeah. they would do, but, you know, just those two voices blended together somehow, I think would have been probably one of the greatest singles ever released, even if they did one forty-five single or something. Yeah, I think you're right, man. That's two perfect tones. It's just the clarity of Karen and the, the huskiness of Dusty. It would be quite amazing. Yeah. 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 I don't know what they'd sing, but... <laughs> no, no. It, it could, well, they, they could sing anything, couldn't they? You know, uh, well, I have to pick my songs. You know, I'm, I've got a limited range, which I, I appreciate. But I, I've stopped trying to find things now. i found what I'm comfortable with. And the simpler, it's a bit like watercolour, you know, less is more. And if, you're, if you've got restricted ability, when you actually master that restriction, it actually grows in your favour. So you get that simple, you know, a simple watercolour sometimes is, is actually better than a massively complicated, same as a simple, you know, Johnny Cash was simple, you know, the simplest tone and guitar effort we'll ever hear. But the songs were, were definitely originally brilliant, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's... um. It's, it's like your, your album's very, it's got a lot of bluesy bass songs in it and it, it really works to your credit. That's fantastic. Thank you, mate. Thanks very much. I'll get the next one done. You'll be getting a copy, mate. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Um, so if people want to find out about what you're up to, where's the best place to look at what you're doing? I take it, would it be Facebook if people want to find out where to find out what you're up to and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, a Facebook tag. I have a guy that does my sound, Stuart Jowett, he speaks to Facebook link. Morris Dumbledore is at Blue Bar tonight. Come along, it'll be cool. So that's there. 
And if you go on to the Blue Bar Harrogate, you'll see the link every Wednesday to the picture of Morris Cumberweed sings the blues. It's on the, and you'll see all the other acts that are on. So it's the Blues Bar Montpellier Harrogate. You just plug that into uh, to, to, uh, Google and it'll find it and you'll see my most there. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'll, and I'll put the links to the album on the bottom. Mo, it's been amazing chatting today. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, mate.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.